0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hi, Real Life family. How are you? Glad you're here this morning. We are excited about this. I wanted to take a minute um, just to go back and visit something that's real important to us as a church Um I really believe that whatever next is for the church, like the doorway for us to experience that is through worship. And uh, so I I just want to keep calling us back and reminding us to these things, like did when you came this morning, did you prepare yourself? Or did you sleep in as late as you could and then run around and your kids kicked over things and they had to change their outfit at the last minute and you were cussing and, "Ah," you know, Like, did you prepare yourself to be here, to be with God's community, telling Him who he is, or did you just come here and expect God to do something to you? Like, worship is this thing that we offer to the Lord, and yes, he ministers to our heart through that, but this is a thing that we offer to God. And so did you come prepared for that? Did you show up on time in the worship? Um, Or did you just straggle around out there and hang out and talk with your friends, because talking with your friends is more important than talking with God? Like did this is remember Hebrews twelve the, to offer God worship with proper reverence and awe. Like did you come and offer God worship this morning that was proper reverence and awe. Did you do that this morning? I just want to keep reminding us and calling us back to that because this is just going to be a central piece of who we are as a church. It's who we are moving forward. And I'm watching worship change my life. I'm watching it still continue to shape my marriage. I'm watching it still continue to change my family. I want you to experience what worship has for you because it's good. So don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Embrace it. Um, So, I just want to keep calling us back to that. We're in this one big story series, and we're going to be in week three this week. I want to go back and review kind of where we've been so we don't lose the forest for the trees, but I want to put these pieces together and kind of move through the, the arc of the story that God's telling here. So the first week, we talked about this. Genesis 1 says that God is good. He's a different kind of God than they've experienced before. He's not mad. He's not a taker. This is a God who provides. He doesn't need to be appeased, which is really central to our faith. Uh, he's a God who provides for us. He's a God who's good. He created a good world full of good, good things, and he created you, Tov Mayode. You are real good, Right? <laughs> And that's important because a lot of us in our wrestling match of trying to walk out what it means to follow God, we make mistakes and and we start to feel like we are a mistake. Well, the problem isn't that you're a mistake or that you're weak or that you're bad. The problem is that there's all these voices out there that distract us. And so last week, Josh had us all stand up and stomp those things out. And it was unfair because we came in flats and flip-flops and he had cowboy boots on, right? So he was able to stomp really hard and we were all like, oh, my, my plantar fasciitis. That's what, where we were at. Um, but we were stomping, right? And um, so we stomp out these voices, crushing the voices that become a distraction to us. Now the problem with sin beyond the fact that it separates us from God, which is kind of a big deal, is that sin promises to deliver what only God can give us. That's why we follow sin, because sin, sin deceives us into believing that there's a payoff. And the problem is that sin can never give us the payoff. Sin promises to deliver what only God can give us. And so the invitation of Genesis 4 through 11 is this story after story after story of God inviting people to trust his story and it's a bunch of people who don't and and what's the cost of that? So Genesis 4, you have Cain and Abel and Lamech, which is a cool story. <coughs> and then Genesis 5, you have a genealogy. Genesis 6 through 9 is Noah the ark. And then in Genesis 10, you have the Tower of Babel. And all all these are great stories. Then in Genesis 11, we have a genealogy that then introduces us to a new character. And his name is Abram. God will change his name to Abraham later. But in Abraham, God finds a guy that will finally trust him. And so God's like, okay, here we go. Mission on mission, restore the world engaged. And so he comes to Adam and he gives Adam, or Adam, Abraham, and he gives Abraham totally different people, by the way. Um, I don't know if you know that he gives Abraham this really cool promise. And I want to look at it because God tells him to do some things and then he gives him a promise and a payoff. Okay. So let's look at Genesis chapter 12. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, much ado has been made of this statement and that God's like, Abram, I want you to just go and I'll show you where to go. And we're like, wow, look at his faith. Wow. woo! this is such a big risk. Such a big thing. Yeah. Okay. Like, I-, I don't disagree with that, but look at the next statement and I'll make you a great nation. Like there's a, there's a definite, like you go, I'll go. I'll go anywhere if God's like, I'll make your name great, right? Like the payoff here, he knows the payoff. He doesn't know the location necessarily, but he knows the payoff. So is it a big step of faith? I don't know. But what I do want to focus on is this. God says to him, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. This is God's promise to him. That's kind of cool. And I know as a guy... I'm, I'm not a woman, so maybe this is true for women as well. I think we all want significance in this world, male or female. But as a guy, the, the walking into a room and people stop and go, oh my goodness, do you know who that is? Oh my goodness, oh, this, really, this is really important. Like, I know it's true for guys. Maybe it's true for women too. I don't, I'm not trying to parse things, but here's the thing. You want your name to be great, then you have to understand that it is God who makes your name great and he does it for the last half of the sentence, so that you will be a blessing. God will never make your name great for your own benefit. God will never make your name great so that you can have your big bank account and pad your world and have your big house and drive cars. Now, that may or may not happen. Those things may or may not be a part of your life, but God doesn't make your name great so that you can have that. God makes your name great so that you can be a blessing, and for no other reason. That's his promise to Abraham, and it's his promise to you and me. And and I will make you, uh, I will bless those who, uh, what what is even happening? (laughs) Go back one slide. There we go, that's where we're at. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Next slide, I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse you and in, all, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The, the whole world is gonna be blessed because of you. I'm gonna make your name great, Abraham, so that every nation in the world will be, a bless, will be blessed by you. Pretty cool, pretty cool promise. Let's read on. And so Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Iran, and God's like, I'm going to make you a nation, and, and Abraham's like, well, the problem is I don't have kids, and God's like, good news, you're going to have a kid. Um, he, now, he gives him the promise at 75. The promise doesn't happen until he's actually much older, but you know, you start having kids at 75, right? Like, everybody does that crazy how in the world God are you ever going to fulfill this promise to make me a great nation I don't even have offspring how have you ever felt like God's promise to you is so outrageous there's no way he could pull it off now here's a question do you follow a God who's big enough to pull that kind of stuff off or is your God too small you know what I'm saying? Like, so Abraham took, what, took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And then, when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to a place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. What's the problem? He don't got no offspring. (laughs) what? What? I'm 75. You're talking to me about offspring? I should be talking about my 401k. Like my like I'm ready to buy my yacht and sail the world, you know? Like this is not baby-making stage of life. This is not what we should be doing here. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, there's some really cool stories that happen, but God makes this promise to him. I'm going to make your name great so that you can be a blessing to all the nations, and I'm gonna do that by making you into a great nation. Through your offspring, all the world will be blessed. Like, be really clear about this. God is never going to bless you for your own benefit. He blesses you so that you can be a blessing conduit from God to other people. Like, that's our role as followers of Jesus. So I'm just a blessing conduit. There's got to be a worship song in that, although I don't know that conduit is a really good word. (laughs) Worship conduit. Blessing conduit. It doesn't ring. It doesn't have a ring. So we'll work on it. We'll finesse, wordsmith it a little bit. But that's your role as a follower of Jesus is to be a blessing conduit into the lives of other people. God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to other people. And his promise is that when you do that, he'll do more with your life than you ever thought possible. And I know for a lot of us, we're sitting here going, I don't know how that works. I don't understand how God could take this mess and do anything good with it. I, I get it. I felt that way just his promise the question is do you believe him so like last week we we wrestled with this question of is god holding out on us how we answer that question says a lot about the voices we choose to listen to right this week we're wrestling with this question of is god's promise secure how we answer that question says a lot about how you and i are willing to put him on display in the world is god's promise secure like it's easy to say yes but when we're out in the world making choices is it really so clear for us? So in Genesis 15, there's this really interesting story, and I'm not going to read it to you. I just want to tell it to you. Abraham has this really cool thing happen and he goes to God and God's like, Abraham, he reaffirms this promise. Like I'm going to give you an off a child, or I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham's finally kind of had it. And he says, okay, God, how in the world are you going to do this? I don't even have a kid." If I die, all of the wealth that I have goes to my servant, Eleazar of Damascus. Like you keep talking about making me a great nation, but 20 years have gone by and you ain't done nothing. I wonder this, if God gave you a promise for your life and then waited 20 years to fulfill it, would you stay faithful? I I hope I would say yes to that, but I don't want to wait 20 years. And so what happens is Abraham starts to question God. And so he grabs God by the collar, so to speak, and says, come on, show up. And so God says, okay, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get a bull and a she-goat and a, and a ram and a male goat and a turtle dove and a pigeon. And I w- God is a God of detail. I'm just saying... If you get a turtle dove and a crow, this doesn't count. Um, God's about to make a covenant with Abram. And here's the thing. In a covenant like this, in a blood covenant, this is not a peer-to-peer covenant. This is a covenant with a, with a greater and a lesser, always in history. We've talked a lot about covenant throughout the, the course of our church, so if you've been journeying with this for a while, you have that information. But this is a greater and a lesser covenant. And what Abraham does, according to God's um, command, is he cuts all the animals in half and he lays the, the halves out in a line. Now, what we're doing here is what's called a blood covenant. And what happens is the the greater sets the terms to the deal, to the covenant, and then the lesser has to walk through the halves of the animals in a figure eight, stating his terms to the deal. But he doesn't get to pick his terms. The greater gets to pick his terms. The lesser just has to say, okay, I agree. And if I fail, may this, these animals split in half, may this happen to me. It's a blood covenant. And this is what we're doing. Now, so God comes to Abraham. He says, get these animals, cut them in half, and lay them out. Abraham does this and then refuses to go in. Here's why. Because he knows that he can never uphold this covenant. He knows that as soon as he walks into that blood, he's dead. There's no way you can measure up to a covenant with God. There's no way. Maybe you know exactly how Abraham felt in that moment. And so Abraham, it seems that he sits up on a hill up above these animals, and he's been there, we don't know how long, but a little while, vultures gather, so it's been a little while, and it says that uh, God causes Abraham to fall asleep, and this terrible darkness comes over him, and he has a dream. And in the dream, there's a smoking pot and a flaming torch. Now, smoke and fire and coals in the Bible, these are always a picture of the presence of God, always. I think about um, Isaiah when he goes into the throne room of God, and he says, I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And the angel comes to the altar before the Lord and takes a burning coal and touches his mouth to it to purify him. Why? Because it's a symbol of the presence of God. Think about uh, John 21, when Jesus restores Peter. The guys are out fishing. They've been fishing all night, and they look, and they see a man. They don't even know that it's Jesus. They see a man cooking fish on a fire of burning coals. Now, why do I need to know what kind of fire it is? Because it's not so much about the fire. It's, an, it's a, the author's attempt to let you know that the presence of God was there. Does that make sense? Like, this is always a symbol for the presence of God. And so what happens is in the dream, the smoking pot goes through the, the animal parts. But then what's interesting is that the flaming torch, which is also a symbol for the presence of God, goes through the parts as well. And what God says to Abraham is this. Abraham, I know you can't uphold your end of the deal. And if and when you fail, I'll carry out your part of the covenant and I'll take your punishment. Abraham I know that you don't understand how in the world I am ever going to pull this promise off to you. I get it. And I know that you're fearful that you're going to let me down and that I'm going to bail out on this promise that I've made you, which is a pretty great promise. I mean, think about it. He was promised. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing to every nation in the world. Like that's a, that's a great promise. God says, I know you can't carry out the covenant. It's okay. When you fail, and you will, I'll carry out your part and I'll take your punishment. Like that's a cool promise that God gives to Abraham. And the promise is secure. And the question that I wrestle with is how does, because I want to be that guy. I want to be a person that God uses to bless the whole world. I I do. Like, I don't want to just hang out in my house and do nothing all day. I want to change the world. Like, how do you become a person that God says, I will make your name great so that you can be a blessing to all the people? How does God choose the people that he wants to do this with? Well, there's this really interesting story. Turn your cell phone off. There's this. (laughs) That's going online. (laughs) I'm just messing with you. It's just the ADD kicking in. Uh, But everybody else take note. Turn your cell phones off. If we have a round two on that, I might go postal a little bit. Does Abraham prove that he's somebody that God wants to use? Well, there's this really interesting story between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 about. And it's this big chiasm. Now we've talked about chiasms and what they are and how they function before, but there's this comparison story between Hagar and Ishmael and Abraham and Isaac. And what's interesting is that Hagar feels like Ishmael is getting picked on. So she leaves and she goes out into the desert and Ishmael is about to die because of exposure. And so what she does is she lays him under a bush and then she walks away far, far enough away that she can't hear him cry anymore. And then she sits down and waits. For him to die. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. If you're a mom, what are the odds that you would ever, 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 ever do that to your child? Like, I I I'm married to a mother and I know a few mothers. And here's what I know: Mama Bear syndrome is for real. Like They'll give their own life in a second before they'll watch their child die. Like this story doesn't make sense until you compare it with what happens with Abraham and Isaac. When when God says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. Your son, you are on your way to kill your son. And Abraham, in all of his turmoil, his son cries out to him and Abraham says, here I am. The Hebrew phrase is the phrase Hanani. Here I am. This phrase, here I am, is the hinge pin for every single person that God uses in the Bible. You follow, Do a, just do a concordance search on the phrase, here I am. Go to BibleGateway.com and type in the search engine, here I am, and you watch what stories show up. It's these pivotal moments where God's people really define themselves as God's people every time that this phrase is used. Why does God want to use a guy like Abraham? Because he's willing to show up when other people want. He's willing to take God at his word when other people go, I don't understand how you can figure that out. 75 years old having babies? Yeah, let's do that. That's a great idea. (laughs) That's dumb, God. You picked the wrong person. (sighs) Not Abraham. For Abraham, it was like, okay, God, let's do this. What's the kind of person that God wants to use? It's this person that's willing to show up. It's this person that's willing to say, God, I don't understand how you're going to do this. I don't, but I trust that you will. And what I love about Abraham as a story is we watch him not be perfect. Like his stellar righteousness is not why God uses him. Right? We see him do some horrible things. And I love that about the Bible because what we often try to do is we try to get a little bitty piece of of awareness of somebody and who they are and based on that little piece we want to assume all the rest. Right? So, is, is this person all good or are they all bad? Well, that's not really how life works, is it? Like, David, a man after God's own heart. Like a man after God's own heart. Think about this. The Messiah was given the dubious distinction of being the son of David. Like if there was ever a Bible character that had it together, it was David. Was he all good or all bad? He was neither. Was was Solomon all good or all bad? But he was both. <laughs> Like they're neither and both. And so the question that we have to wrestle with is, is it the the person that God uses, do they have to be all good and have it all together and have it all figured out? No. What they have to be willing to do is that when God calls, they show up. And if you're willing to be that person, no matter how crazy the promise is, God will fulfill it. His promise is secure that way. We just have to be willing to show up. I, I wonder how many of us would stay the course. I just wonder. And so with that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. Now, uh, we take communion every week. And this is an opportunity for those of us that uh, have committed to the Lord that he's the boss of our life um, to say that we're in. Um, at this covenant together. And so, if you're willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us, we would invite you to partake in that. But we want you to hold those elements till the end. They're going to pass them out. We want you to hold those elements till the end, and we'll take them all together. While they're passing that out, I want to work through a few implications to this message that I think are particularly important. Probably lots of other places that you would apply it and that's all good and wonderful. Um, But these are some places that I think I would find particularly important. Number one, God is still looking for partners. Good news, he wants to make your name great too. Not for your own world, not for your own benefit, but so that you can be a blessing to every nation. Now, do you have to be all good to get it? Nope. Nope. All you have to be is willing to show up when he calls. Implication number two. God's partners change the world by constantly investing in people around them. You're called to be a blessing to people, to the nations around you. You're called to be a blessing. God's blessing isn't for you. You're a blessing conduit. You guys are going to be singing that worship song all week, aren't you? Blessing kind Conduit. Of you know you like it. You like it? It's catchy. It's catchy. You can write that one, babe. Uh-huh. Real life has been writing some worship songs. You're going to be hearing them here soon. We've been writing some worship songs, and they're good. Like, this, is, this one may transcend them all. Blessing kind Conduit. Of Bless, hey, easy blessing conduit. That's going to be the name of the song. (laughs) God's partners change the world by constantly investing in the people around them. Like you don't get to just live right, make the right choices and change the world. You change the world by relationally investing in people. It's one of the reasons why we do small groups as a, as a church. Like we believe you need to be in relationships with people and you need to be investing in those relationships and in relationships that are in your community. Like you need to be doing that because that's how God has decided to change the world. I don't know why he did that. I think it's really not very bright of him to choose you and me to change the world, you know? Like, I don't know all of you that well, but I sure know me, and I know that I'm not a great option. Um, So I I don't know why he chose it, but here's what I know he did. And so we gotta partner, If, if we're gonna partner with the world, if we're gonna be people who are willing to say, here I am then that's going to happen because we're willing to constantly invest in people around us. Third implication, and it's more of a question, maybe a a question for you to wrestle with as you're in your small group this week. Um, And if you're not in a small group, you need to get in one. if you're in your small group this week or or maybe in your accountability group or around your dinner table as you're talking with your kids about what they learned this week, um, here's a great question for you to begin wrestling with. Wherever your Christian conversations go, where are you partnering with God to change the world? Like, that's a question worth asking yourself. Where are the places? And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push on this a little bit and say, it's not enough to have just some good ideas. Like, where are the actual places that you're actually investing in partnering with God to change the world? Where are you actually doing it? And if you're like, I don't have a place, maybe it's time for you to cry out, here I am. I'm ready, God, I'm tired. I'm tired of wondering where you are. I'm tired of missing out on the blessing that everybody talks about, but I don't feel it. I'm tired of not being used. I'm tired of coasting through life. I'm tired of not having purpose and mission and reason. I'm tired of all that, God, I'm here, use me. It's weird how God shows up when we do that. Uh, I would invite you to consider the possibility that partnering with God Really looks a whole lot like what communion means for us, too. What is, where it's going to begin is, am I willing to lay down my own agenda, my own desires, my own wants for the people around me? Jesus models this for us, right? And communion is a call back to Jesus modeling that for us. You with me? You're not going to get there by taking your own life in your own hands and trying to do it your way, your, your desires, your ideas, your great plans. You're not going to get there that way. You're going to only be able to get there by laying your life down and saying, God, I'm here. I'm here. Use me as you see fit. I don't have another way to do this. Communion models for us Jesus laying his life down. This bread represents Jesus' body. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, you are enough and your promises are secure. No matter how crazy they sound, you um, you do great things when we're willing to say, here I am. And so Lord, help us to have the courage of Abraham and the faith to believe that even within this life that we've, we've done a lot of things wrong, that we haven't messed it up so bad that you couldn't find a way to fulfill your promise in it. Um, Yeah, Lord, we love you and thank you for your grace and your continual relentless pursuit of us. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.